0: We're talking a very small series, which is obviously the series is Rivers of Living... let me make sure I got the right one. Rivers of Living Water. And we're going to see more today why that's the title of this series. And uh, last week we began... We talked... We're talking... Let me go back a step. Um, I'm doing something with these these several messages that's not typically what I do. Um, I'm a teacher, and that's the gift that God's given me, which is an, a, a, a God-given ability to understand things, break things down, uh, the Scriptures down, and then being able to communicate them to you, to make God as clear to you, to make His message as clear to you, as the gift that God's given me enables me to do. So when you get excited, it's not me you're excited about, it's it helps you to see Him more clearly. And that's primarily what a pastor does, as a teacher and a, and, and a, and a preacher. But, but there's a side of the Word of God that is, has a different purpose, and it's a prophetic side. Prophetic is not always saying, thus saith the Lord. It's, you can, there's certain preaching that can be prophesying. And, and prophecy can be just not only telling what's going to happen, but the words themselves have power to bring it about. And I shared with you last Sunday when we began this that a number of years ago, I don't know, four, maybe four or five years ago, we had, and we have done this several times, and we'll probably do it again the beginning of the year, we had a brief time of prayer and fasting where we spent about three days and just seeking God. And in, in that fast and that prayer time, God began to ask me some questions, and then I asked God some questions, and then God began to show me some answers. And, and the, the, what I talked about last week came out of that and i began to god took me to to into the prophecy in ezekiel of the dry bones and 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 where ezekiel is taken out there and looks at this valley and god shows him this valley and it specifically applies to israel and the condition that israel was in because they were in captivity they had been taken into captivity, and there was confusion, and, and, and God was showing them through Ezekiel, this is how I see you. You may think you got it all together, but I see you as a valley of dry bones, and I'm not going to go back over all that, but it basically meant helplessness, hopelessness, because bones are not skeletons, they're scattered skeletons, and there's no hope for them producing anything or accomplishing anything, and God began to ask the question to the prophet, can these bones live? And God began to talk to me that way as he began to show me as a church where we are, as the church in this United States. And this is not every person, this is not every church, but by and large, the church in this nation, in this church, in some in the way God sees us, is we're a valley of dry bones. And it's important to recognize where we are because we're, in many ways, we're powerless. We're easily threatened by what goes on in the world. And we're happy and content to stay inside our four walls and to bless one another and to be blessed. But that's not what God's put us here to do. And so, so Israel was in a similar place, and, I, and God said to me, can these bones live? And I, and I just, like Ezekiel, I got it out and read what Ezekiel said, Ezekiel says, only you know. And then God's answer was, prophesy, speak over them. And the Lord says, at the right time, I want you to begin to speak over this, over this body, what I have, the vision that I have for it, to call it into being. And I've been doing that for a while. He just didn't tell you that's what I was doing. So last week we talked about recognizing where we are. We ended in Revelation where, where John, uh, Jesus dictates to John, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, seven different letters to seven different churches. And as I've mentioned to you many times, because he has a different message to different churches, that means that Jesus knows what's going on in each church and he has a different message for each different church. And the last church he has a message for was the church of Laodicea, which basically says you need to wake up because you think you're wealthy, you think you're well off, you think you're blessed, but here's how I see you and here's what you need to do well today we're going to get into the, the, the more pleasant side of it we're going to get into the vision that I believe God has for the church it's for all churches but what he spoke for this church and this is symbolic this is why I explain to you this is a prophetic teaching it's symbolic but I will bring the symbolism down and hopefully show us where we are so if you would turn to me with me this morning to Ezekiel chapter 43 and this follows the prophecy of the dry bones Again, Ezekiel is a prophet of the Old Testament speaking to Israel while they're in captivity and God is giving them, first of all, a correction and then God is giving them a hope. But as with many prophecies in the Old Testament, they have several layers of meaning. The initial or the more direct meaning is always to Israel at that time. But then there's often a, a distant prophecy or prophetic meaning to Israel But then there's often a bigger meaning which has to do with Messianic or the Messiah or the church, and I believe that this is one of these. We saw last week that the valley of thy dry bones was part of a long-term or a far-off prophecy as well as a near-term prophecy. So let's pray as we get into the Word. Father, we thank you for the word of God we thank you that as children of God we can come to you and open our hearts and expect our father to teach us we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit who you have called and ordained to lead us into truth he is the spirit of truth and Father, today we ask that the Holy Spirit would lead us into truth. We ask that He also is the one that searches the de- de- heart, the depths of the hearts of the Father and brings out the deep things that He has for us and brings them to us and reveals them to us. And so, Father, we're asking today, right now, as we open the Word of God together, that the Spirit of God would breathe on these words into our hearts and would breathe vision, would bring hope, would breathe car- clarity to our, so that we would be one people of one mind and of one heart together to do your will and to see your power and your will carried out through our lives and through this church. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, I'm going to read down through this quickly because it gives us the setting for where we're going to go. Afterwards, um, th- what's happened at this point is God has given Ezekiel a vision. He's in the middle of a vision here. And afterwards, he brought me. This is, a, this is a, uh, the Spirit of God brought me to a gate a gate that faces towards the east. Behold, the glory of the God of Israel came in by the way of the east. I wish we could have time to get on that one. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city, the visions which were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate, which faces towards the east. This is talking about the presence of God coming to church. And look at this, verse 5, the Spirit lifted me up. Now, you know, when we pray for people, many times they fall down in the Spirit. And that's exciting, but I'm waiting for the day when He stands them up. (laughs) And He brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We sang about that this morning. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. So while the Lord is speaking to him in the temple, a man, this is a guide, stands beside me. And he said to me, son of man, this place is my throne, the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defy my holy name, nor their kings by their harlotry, nor with the carcasses of their kings of their high places. When they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost by my doorpost, what he's saying here is no longer will my priests, no longer will my kings, my leaders do their own thing set up their own temple, set up their own way of worship. It's going to be my way. And he said, what they did when they did that is they set up a wall between them and me and they defiled my holy name by their abominations. Now it goes down to verse 10. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let let them measure the pattern. So here's, this is often God's way. God shows us what he's like and then we see what we're like, and then we repent and realize how far short we're falling. And then when we've repented, now our hearts are open for God to come in and bring healing and wholeness and correction and His presence in, because He is a holy God, and the Spirit of God is a holy spirit, and He can only dwell in a holy place. That doesn't mean perfect, because none of us are ever going to be perfect, but we can be holy without being perfect. Okay, so that's the background. Ezekiel is in the middle of a vision. And he has, God has called him to this vision. And we don't know whether it's a physical vision he's seeing, a, 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 a live vision, or he's seeing it with, a, with his, with his inner, inner eyes, his spirit man. But it didn't matter. He's seeing this clearly. And a guide has been given to him to show him what this temple is, this dwelling place of God. That's the background. Okay, now, we're not going to spend the time to look there, but I want to, in chapter 44, (laughs) this is chilling to me at times, God judges the priests, the ministers, and God says here, as He says in some other places, He says, you put a bar between me and my people. He said, "You you have profaned the holy place of God. Profane just means you've made it ordinary. You've made it like the world. You brought worldly ideas, worldly practices in. And your heart has not been to serve me as a holy God. And then he says, and because of that, when I come and bring my presence in, you can still serve me, but you can't serve me in my presence. You've got to be greeters, and nothing personal to our greeters. You've got to be the greeters at the doorway, but you can't. You don't have the privilege of coming and serving me because you profaned my name. He's talking about getting ready for his dwelling. Getting ready for his dwelling Because he's a holy God, he wants the priests holy, he wants the people holy. Okay, with that background, here's why. Now let's go, this is what we're going to look at today, chapter 47. This is what God showed me at that time of prayer and fasting. And I was so encouraged because it wasn't long after that, that Lafayette came and he preached out of this exact same vision, the exact same points. So it was God confirming to me, I believe. So verse, start in verse 1, we're going to read down through here, and then we're going to begin to break it down. Then he, that's the same guide, brought, this is the same vision. What's happened in the meantime is this guide has shown him what the temple's going to be like, and he measured it out. The guide has a, has a, has a, a measuring rod in his hand. And he measures out the gates. He shows, him all the, he shows him the surrounding wall. He shows him the gates. He shows him the temple itself. He takes him on a guided tour of what this dwelling place is going to be like. Now, in the immediate prophecy, it's about the restoration of the temple. For the long-term prophecy, it's about the church as God's dwelling place. And the ultimate meaning of this is at the end of Revelation, when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and God dwells permanently here. His presence is here. So this is the long-term vision of it. So it, don't get hung up on, we're not gonna, that's why I'm not going to go through what the temple looks like because we can get hung up on the details. But this is, where, this is what it's all about. He brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the front of the temple faced east and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And he brought me way out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was raw water running out of the right side. Excuse me. Speaking of water. And the man went out to the east, and when the line in his hand was measured 1,000 cubits, he brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to my ankles. Again he measured 1,000, and brought me through the waters, and the water was up to my knees." And again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And he measured 1,000, and it it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other, and this water flows, then he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, goes down through the valley, enters the sea, and when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed, and and it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the waters go will live, and there will be a great multitude of fish because of these waters go there, and they will be healed every thing will live wherever this water grows. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Mengedi to Engalem, and they will be places for the spreading of their nets. Their fish will be the same kind as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and its marshes will not be healed, they will be given over to salt, And along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their lives will be for medicine. What is this all about? Well, let's go back to the beginning. This is a vision about water, water a river flowing out of the temple. Remember, the temple is where God's now dwelling. And out of the place where God's now dwelling, a river's going out. Now, river in the Bible almost always represents life. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, I think it starts around verse 10, God, the, the Bible talks about the Garden of Eden, and it talks about a river in the middle of the garden, and it flows out of the garden, and it breaks into three different rivers. And then in the book of Revelation, the beginning of the Bible talks about a river. And in the Revelation, let's just turn quickly there. They can just put it up there. Revelation, this is at the end. Revelation 22. And he showed me, this is a vision of heaven at the very end. He showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Next verse. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each true tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. For this river that Ezekiel's seeing represents the life of God pouring out of the place of God. A lot, the life of God brings wholeness, health, it brings everything to restore and to make well. And so we're going to go through and look at this. Okay. Now again, this is after God's presence has entered the temple. Now let's step back and take a perspective on why we're looking at this right now. Because we've just spent a time looking at the church and what's missing. We looked at what Jesus had commission to the church. It came out of the series that we did called God has called us to be the church, not have church having church means I come for what I get out of it, being the church means to become what Jesus has intended us to be and we saw the four different commissions that are at the end of each of the four gospels. And then we saw that Jesus told them once he di- died and was raised from the dead, What I gave you so far is not enough. I've taught you, I've trained you, but now you need to go wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. We saw that what was missing was the power of God. And then, so, and so, and, it, and we saw what happened in the book of Acts when they did what he said. The Spirit of God came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God went out of that place, flowed out of it. And what happened? Life. Miracles began to happen. On that first day, 3,000 people's eternal destiny was changed. People were healed. People came out of the grave. The life of God poured out into the streets. And then we began to look at, all right, what do we need to do? What does it mean that we need to do? And this is why we're going to this vision right now. Because I believe what God's showing us is this is the vision He has for the church. The church here at Faith Christian Center, I believe for every church. But I'm concerned with this church. So let's go through this from that perspective and see what this prophecy is talking about. And so verse 1, He brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing out from underneath the threshold of the temple from the front. Notice it's going out. I believe that one of the purposes why God put me here was to change our focus out because this church was birthed in the 80s when when the um, when when the tendency was to have teaching centers where people came in so we could be fed and grown grow because there was a there was a dearth there was a lack of the teaching of the word but we're so full of the word now we're getting fat and so it's time to go out to take the word we've been given and go out and begin to give it away, begin to give away what we've been given. But we can't do that in our own strength, our own programs. It's got to be flowing in the river of life, flowing in the anointing, the power of God. So this is what this is about. So it flowed out from the east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse 2. And he brought me out by way of the north gate, and set me around on the outside of the outer gate, as it faces east, and there the water was running out on the right side. So it's flowing out of the temple from under the altar. The altar is the place of worshiping God's presence. What is imparted at that worship then flows outside of the temple, just as it did in the day of Pentecost. And when it flows from the Spirit of God, it cannot be contained. Now notice what happens. Verse, uh, let's go down to verse 3. And when the man went out to the east with a line in his hand, a measuring line, and he measured it by 1,000 cubits, now, a cubit basically is 18 inches. A cubit was the measurement from the tip of your fingers to your elbow. So it's, it's basically 18 inches. So, uh, so, I'll break this down. So he measured 1,000 cubits, and if I've done my math correctly, which is not my stronghold, that's about 500 yards, 1,500 feet. And he brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to... Remember, this is the life of God. The waters came up to my ankles. And then he measured another 1,000, another... 500 yards, and he brought me through the waters, notice the waters are getting deeper, the further they go out, and through the waters, and the waters were now up to my knees, and again he measured 1,000, and brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist, and then he measured 1,000, let's stop there, what does all that mean, what is the fact that he, when there's details like it, there's a reason for it. And if you just meditate on it, the Spirit of God who lives in you is the author of this. What does this mean? Well, I believe it means this, and it could be other things, but this is what it means to me. When you get into the water ankle deep, it doesn't affect you very much other than your feet are wet. You can walk in the water ankle deep, and you can basically go where you want to go and do what you want to do, but you're in the water. Okay, you're in the water. That's good. That's better than not not being in the water. But then it... He went out further, and you got to go, the further he went out, the more risk there was. But the further he went out, the deeper he was in the flow of God's life. There are many Christians that want to sit on the banks of the river and watch the river go by. We're going to see what happens in that case. Then there are Christians that say, well, I want to get in it. Count me in, pastor, but I don't want to get too deep in this stuff. So I'll I'll, I'll go in the first part where my ankle's deep. So I'm in the water. I'm in the water. But then he was called. Oh, this is good. He was led. He was called to go further. So he went out deeper and now another 500 yards and it's up to his knees. When it's up to your knees, you're still in control. Okay? But now your walking is slowed down. My mother owns a place on the coast of Maine, on the beach of Maine. And, and, and sometimes we'll go out on the water and, you know, I'll try to wait. You don't do it long there because the highest that water temperature ever gets is about 67. And so in the, in, in the, even in the summertime, you go in it, in about three minutes you start aching. But if you do that and you walk in the water, when it's up to your knees, it begins to create resistance. So now the only thing you can do is flow with it. You can fight it, but it takes more resistance. And then it went up to, a, he, he was called further. So there's some Christians that, that, that are content to go into their knees in this because, because it, it, with their knees, I'm in the water. I'm deeper than those, those guys back there with just ankle deep. I'm knee deep in the water. And I'm experiencing more of it. But I can still go where I want to go. It's just there's more of resistance of the water. The water wants to take me somewhere and I may want to go in a different direction. And then he goes, and he's led, called, another 500 yards. And now he gets up there, and now it's waist deep. This is the place where people that don't swim get nervous. Because when you're waist deep, you can still stand on your own, all right? But now the water has a much more hold on you. It has much more of a pull on you. There's much, of a, much less of a sense of security in yourself. But it wasn't done. He wasn't done. Verse 5 And then he measured another one thousand five hundred yards. And it was a river that I could not cross. The water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. What happens at that point? Once you get out beyond your, what you can stand on you're now float trusting in the... You're being held up by the water. You're no longer being held up by your own feet. And now you go wherever the water takes you. And this is the highest calling in the life of God. This is the complete surrender to God. This is the... Jesus told His disciples. He called them. He didn't call them to help Him start a church. He didn't call them to help Him start a new religion. It, the walk with God... Is so simple. It takes theology to confuse it. It's so simple. Jesus didn't say, Look, I want you to do stuff for me. He didn't say, Look, I've got a purpose for your life. He said a simple thing You, come follow me. Patricia, come follow me. Come follow me. You. Come follow me. Tim, come up here a minute. I haven't done this in a long time. You're the first one I said, come follow me. Okay, here's your instructions. Ready? Follow me. That's it. Okay. did a good job. <laughs> welcome to, welcome to heaven. <laughs> now, was that hard? easy. Now, the, diff- the challenge is if I had you do that with people yelling and screaming at you, telling you what you do ought to do all the way. Okay? Because that's what happens. All He asked, all he, all he called us to do was to follow Him. I knew where we were going. He didn't need to. He just needed to keep His eyes on me. And when you do that, that's why Jesus says, come to me all you that are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. How? Look unto me. Forget everything that's going around you. Just look unto me and learn of me. For I am meek and humble. Take my yoke upon you. What's the yoke? Just follow him. Whatever he it is, he leads you. And he wants to lead you to a place where you surrender the control of your life into his hands. And when you do that, the force and the power and the love of his life will surround you and lift you up and carry you. See, it's work. It's heavy-laden work to try to walk through the waters by your own effort. It's heavy work to, it's not when you're only ankle deep, but you don't get much out of it when you're ankle deep. It's heavy work when it's waist deep to push through the water. In fact, some athletes use that as a way of strengthening their legs and training by running through the water because it provides resistance. It provides, resi- oh, it provides resistance when you want to do what you want to do. But you yield to the water and float with it, and it will, pro- it will carry you along its path, the river of life. And then what happens? Verse 6, he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And he brought me back and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there, along the bank of the river were many trees, one on either side, on one side and on the other. And he said to me, me, this water flows towards the eastern region. And goes. This, this is so exciting. Goes down into the valley and enters the sea, and when it reaches its water, and when it reaches the sea, the sea's waters are healed. And it shall be. This is what I saw in that. It shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. And there will be. A, just think of that the life of God, the power of God, the love of God, of the Spirit of God, flowing out of here through you and through me. Wherever there's death, wherever there's darkness, wherever there's fear, bringing not, not me, not you, not just the Word, but bringing the life of God that's filled us up out into our neighborhoods, out into our schools, out into our families, Wherever, not wherever we go, wherever that water goes. Remember, Jesus said, It's the Father in me that does the works. Jesus didn't do the works. It was the Father in him. It was the life of God in him. It's the river of life in us that makes everything alive that it touches. Wherever it goes. Verse 10. oh yeah, and it shall be that fishermen will stand by it, that's us, remember what Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, we we talked about that, but he said where they're going to go, and I will make you what, fishers of men, and when he called most of them, he called the fishermen, what were they doing, they had just finished fishing for the flappy things, (laughs) the scaled things. And he said, what you've learned to do for them, I'm going to teach you to do for what's really important to God. That's men's lives, men's souls. And I'll teach you how to do this. And there will be places for the spreading of their nets. We talked about nets last time. The nets are what they caught fish in. The nets are what they caught fish in. And, and I talked to you last week out of Ephesians 4 and said that, that that when the ministry gifts are given to the church to equip the saints, that's all of us, the word equipping is a word that was used to describe the mending of nets, where there's holes in the nets other than the ones that are intended there, where there's gaps in the nets. The, 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 the equipping is to bring those nets together so that they can catch fish, fish our souls, fish our lives. And the church, the nets are you and me connected together. So when we're disconnected, when we're a bunch of dry bones, when we're a bunch of different pieces of netting, we can't catch very much. But when we're together of one heart in prayer, together of one heart and one purpose of why we're here, then the life of God can use us to draw draw it in. So the fishermen were taking advantage of what the river was doing to bring people alive. And the church is to take advantage of what the Spirit is there to do, the life that's being brought, so that we can bring the fish in. And their fish will be the same kinds of fish of the great sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, exceedingly many. Now what's that about? Because in the Mediterranean Sea, there was every kind of fish. And so what God is after is every kind of person. Black, white, every nation, every age. He's no respecter of persons. This net is going out for everyone, every type of person, every background. No no restrictions. And the exceedingly many. Verse 11. Oh, but its swamps and its marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. What's that about? Swamps and marshes are where the water doesn't flow. It just collects. And when water collects, it stagnates. And when water stagnates, bad things can begin to grow in it. Oh, we don't have time to preach this. Algae starts forming. Go look at the pond in the back in the springtime when it starts warming up. It's green bad bacteria begin to grow where the water doesn't flow and there's no healing instead there's death so where where this water can't flow where this river of life can't flow it can't bring healing instead there's stagnation and eventually it becomes salt which represents death we better move on from that that's not so exciting Verse 12 And all along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food, and their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit will not fail. And they will bear fruit every month, because the water that flows from the sanctuary, their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for medicine. John 15, Jesus preparing his disciples. We're not going to turn there. John 15, Jesus preparing His disciples for His leaving and for this to happen in their lives, for them to be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus says this. He said, I am the vine. I'm the tree. You're the branches. He says, apart from Me, you can't bear anything. A branch not vitally connected to the tree can't bear fruit. And then He says, this, for this reason I have chosen you. Remember, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And that's not just those 11 disciples. He chose you. Just as He chose Tim this morning, and He chose Bruce, and He chose the others. All of us, He's chosen you to come and follow Him and to bear fruit. He said that you would bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So it's our vital union with the source of life that allows Him to bear the fruit. Limbs don't bear fruit on their own. All they do is a conduit for the for the for the sap of the vine to flow through the arm, through the branch, and bear fruit. The The branch's job is to stay connected to the vine. The vine produces the life through the branch that's connected. And so that's what this represents. And that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now let's go to John 7. This is what this has all been leading up to. So far, except for that little excursion, this is New Te- Old, Testament, Old Testament prophecy. But Jesus applies it here in John chapter 7. And I've got enough time, I think, to give you a little background here. John 7. Jesus has come down to Jerusalem. His brothers said, you know, you ought to come down because of the festival of tabernacles and Jesus said, "No, I think I'm going to go." They left, and then he comes down on his own secretly because now they're they've already decided they want to kill him. The, the Pharisees want to kill him. This is the tabernacle of of this is the feast of tabernacles, and the tabernacles were where the, they would come into Jerusalem and they'd make these little booths, these temporary shelters, uh, out of palm leaves and things like that. And it represents when they were out in the out in the um, out in the wilderness. Uh, and then what they would do uh, is is each day the priests would take a pitcher, a golden pitcher, and they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill it with water and they would walk ceremonially to the temple and they would pour it out on the altar. And this represented when God provided water out of a rock for the children of Israel in the wilderness. But on the last day, they wouldn't go to the pool, but they would cry out, where is the water? Where is the water? With that background, we're going to pick up and read today how neat this is. Look at this. We're going to pick up in verse John, I'm in the wrong chapter here. John 7. All that build up and I missed the timing. Okay. On the the last day, that's the day I just talked about, when the priests cry out, where is the water? Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart, the, New King, the King James says, belly, your spirit, shall flow what? Rivers of living water. If any man come to me, if any man come to me, not the apostles, if any man come to me, he who believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart, out of his spirit, will flow rivers of living water. Now in John 4, I don't have time to go there and, and spend much time with it. Jesus has this one-on-one encounter with the woman at the well. And, and he's talking to her, he's introducing who the Messiah is to her. And he said, if you know who it was that talked to you, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. And she says, well, sir, how are you going to get this living water? You didn't bring anything. He says, no, no, no. I'm not talking about this kind of water that's in Jacob's well. I'm talking about a water that's, if you will know who I am and receive me, will become a well or a fountain of living water bubbling up in you. That represents the Holy Spirit in you for your maintenance, for your life, for your refreshing, for your, for your benefit. But the river that flowed out of the temple... It wasn't for their benefit there, it flowed out of the temple. Rivers of living water, if you'll come out of your heart, and what is your heart? What is Jesus said? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of God. We are the temple of God individually and even more so when we come together collectively. Out of the, His heart shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I believe that that prophecy, it applies to other things, of the river flowing out of the temple is referring to what Jesus is saying is applied here. Out of his body, out of us individually, especially out of us when we come together as the temple of God out of the Holy Spirit, out of the fullness of our heart, should be rivers of living water. Now there's a difference between a fountain and a river. A fountain, you can have one next to you and you don't know it. But you got a river living next to you, you know it's there. It flows out. It has power. It brings refreshing. It brings life. It sustains. And it moves things out of the way that are in its way. And the power of the Spirit of God flowing out of the church, out of the presence of God to bring the life of God is what I believe God has called and ordained the church to do today. And this is why we're seeking Him for this. This is why we're asking Him. He has been glorified. And this is happening in other parts of the world. This is happening in churches and other places of the world. There's been an incredible revival going on in South America for a decade or so now. Powerful things happening. Africa, is the estimate I think is, I've forgotten what year, but it's not that far off. They're expecting that Africa will be 95 to 98 percent saved. There's a great revival going on in Africa, It's why the devil's fighting it. But there are pockets where there's resistance. Europe has resistance to the Word of God. And now, ironically, the United States has a resistance. But as I've told you for years, we are here for such a time as this. This is why we're here. But we need to see we can't do this in our own strength. It's not our great programs. There's nothing wrong with them. It's not our great ideas. But if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives, flowing out of this place together, then all our programs and all our our ideas will will produce what they produced so far. We have had a number of programs we've done of evangelism. We brought in great speakers that we had somebody for a whole week that trained us and sent us out, and it was great. There was a great excitement here until he left because he was the inspiration for going out. What we need is the inspiration, inspiration, the breathing in within us, coming out of our bellies, out of our hearts, not out of our minds and not of our flesh. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's continue to seek God. Father, we see what your word says. We see what Jesus called his disciples to do. We see what that because of their obedience, we saw, we see what you were able to do through them. And through the generations, this has continued. And Father, we are now at a critical place. We're now, as I believe you've spoken to me at a crossroads as a church, I believe we're at a crossroads as a nation. The church in the United States in many ways is at a crossroads. There are many things coming against us Mm -hmm. to distract us, to threaten us, to pull us off course. And Father, today more than ever, we need the power of your Spirit in our own lives, in our families, in our job, Father, in our schoolrooms, our classrooms, Lord, our government has tried to take prayer out of the church, out of school, but they can't take prayer out of us. They can't stop us from praying in our classrooms ourselves. They can't stop us from seeking you. They can't stop us from seeking you wherever we go. And we come now, Father. Lord, whatever it is we have to see, if we're dry bones, Lord, we believe that these bones can live. Lord, if there's dryness or emptiness in our lives, we believe, Lord, that your, power, your spirit can bring wholeness and healing wherever this life of God goes. And whatever it is we have to change and adjust, Father, show us. As the guide led Ezekiel further into the river, may your spirit continue to lead us further into the river of life that you want to flow out of here. For that we give you thanks. In Jesus' name.